The following is a sermon podcast from White Ridge Baptist Church. Our reading from the book of James, chapter 5, verses 7 to 12. Be patient, then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm. Because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against each other, brothers, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Bro- brothers, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Above all, my brothers, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. Let your yes be yes and your no, no or you will be condemned. Amen. How good it is to hear uh, the scripture read this morning. Thank you for that. I became Phoebe in China. Praise the Lord. I, uh, many years ago, read an autobiography of Oswald J. Smith, the founder of People's Church in Toronto. His autobiography is called Fire in His Bones. And uh, this morning, I don't know why that uh, came to mind, that autobiography. But uh, sometimes I get into the pulpit and that's what it feels like. It feels like the Lord has kindled a fire in my bones for the message because of maybe the time we're in and because of the relevance of the scripture being uh, looked at. And so I feel like God has uh, just purposed that James is a scripture that we're looking through these weeks. And and Kevin and I were just talking before the service how very appropriate it seems every Sunday message seems to, to become as we, as we work through the book of James. And today is no exception. Before we, um, before we look at James, I want to just share a few things um, uh, from a more leadership perspective in our church family. Um, Dave Barton has asked me to share as the chairman of the board, he's asked me to share about the congregational meeting that is coming up on December the 6th. Unfortunately, we're going to have to be doing it online, but 7 p.m. that evening, we will be meeting as a believers, a group of believers and members of White Ridge Baptist Church. And if you're part of this ministry in any way, adherent or member, you're welcome to join that. And we will be looking at passing the budget for 2021, as well as inviting new members into the fellowship of our church and also electing different leadership positions. So on December 6th, you can look for that. I also want to um, talk a little bit about what continues in ministry because so much is seemingly being shut down. But actually, our church family is very much in line with uh, continuing as much ministry as we can because God is given us that ability. And so let me just go through some of the things that um, 
are continuing online. Sheila, our children's ministry director, tells me that the Kids at the Ridge children's ministry is going on every week online. You can read, uh, see weekly lesson videos on our website. If you go to the children's page, you'll see that. You can be part of that, as well as what Kevin announced earlier, the Advent materials that are being picked up by families. Rudy, our pastor of student ministries, has said to me that 4HG, the youth ministry of our church, is continuing on Zoom. And, and since they've gone to Friday night, they've actually had an increase in attendance. People are staying up a little later, maybe, and uh, they're enjoying that time together. Also, the um, Young Adult Ministry Interact is continuing on every two weeks in a Bible study, and that group is looking at other ways of connecting during the, the pandemic. Pastor Kevin and the deacons continue to monitor the needs of our congregation, and by phone, they are in touch with many people every week. And um, there has been um, new people that have joined us or found us online as well, and we have, uh, they have been following up with those newer families and individuals as well. And uh, the deacons would like to encourage us to go to our webpage, look at the prayer wall, it is a great place to find prayer requests as well as to leave prayer requests and uh, be prayed for. And also, Pastor Doug and Chris Schrader, our communications coordinator, have given me a list of several things that are going on weekly online, whether it's with uh, Microsoft Teams or Facebook Live or with Zoom. For example, this morning, Sundays at 8.30, is a Meet Jesus International Bible Study. Uh, Brenda Noble leads that. Mondays in the evening, Emmy Drisky is leading a study on Paul's letters. Tuesdays and Thursdays, starting in January, when we get into the book of Romans, there's going to be sermon discussion groups online. Wednesdays, we still have Come to the Quiet, the prayer time that Erica Cooper leads. It's on Zoom. And um, Wednesdays as well, there's a, a precept Bible study by Barb Brewer on the book of Daniel. And that is continuing on as well on Zoom. And uh, we just continue to see God leading us in different ways. Wednesday evenings, also English Conversation Circle. We haven't stopped doing that. And the group has plans over Christmas as well to connect virtually. I think that's a group that's also looking at Christmas caroling. Might be a big event this, <laughs> this Christmas with the kinds of uh, shutdowns we've experienced. Thursday, um, the Gospel in Life Bible study every two weeks. Pastor Doug is leading that. And then uh, Saturdays as well, a Bible study discussion group by Emmy Drisky that's being led online. We have 11 life groups that are continuing to meet virtually all through the pandemic. Uh, 11 life groups that continue to meet. And then there's the Conquer series, the Seven Pillars of Freedom, the Betrayal and Beyond. These groups continue to meet uh, in spite of this pandemic and sometimes having to meet virtually, obviously. And then various other ministries that continue in their leadership to meet, Justice and Mercy team, the missions team led by Doug, the board, uh, board members meet regularly, the deacons uh, team. And so I want to just remind you that life goes on, that we believe that God is not going to just kind of enable us to barely survive, but, but actually we can thrive, we can grow in ministry, we can adapt. And I share all these things to encourage you. We're learning new ways of relating, aren't we? In fact, until COVID-19, I would not have had a clue what an online baby shower was like. But um, recently, uh, because of 
uh, Alex and Julia Friesen, I now know what an online baby shower looks like. And there was a whole bunch of people that attended it. And uh, also, I wouldn't have known what a drive-by birthday party looked like. But yesterday, I experienced that. And I want to give a, a shout-out to, to um, Ashley because she turned 25. And uh, happy birthday, Ashley. Judging by the attendance of this drive-by birthday party, she's a pretty popular girl. And speaking of birthdays, I just found out that yesterday, Heather Norris turned 18. And I'm seeing her right back at the controls there. Uh, Heather, congratulations on that milestone. And uh, while I'm talking about individuals, I've got to tell you, I was talking to uh, a couple in our church about neighborhood groups this past week, Brent and Tara Harder, and um, we were chit-chatting, and they said they were going to make some, some cards, cardboard uh, things that they could put, because I was complaining about having to preach to an empty room. So I want to show you what they did. There's Brent and Tara right there with me. I'm, I'm seeing them. There's only three or four people in the whole room, but they're here as well. So uh, thank you for that, Brent and Tara. You know, um, we have been experiencing a lot of uh, challenges, and, and uh, I want to talk about neighborhood groups in a minute and see how we're, God is going to help us to address some of the things that we're facing. Pat and I were discussing recently how we're going to get through the winter, some of the changes in routine that we need to make. And uh, I've been thinking personally about owning some personal daily disciplines. Like, I think I'm going to make one extra phone call every day that's just outside of what I'd normally make, just to connect with people. I think I'm going to read one edifying chapter of a book per day, just because I think I have time. Because I know my potential and my capacity to, to waste time, and so I want to buy the time. I think that uh, exercise is another one. And how do, we, how do we address all these things? Maybe you've all already been thinking about those things. But I want to encourage you. This could be an incredible opportunity, not just to survive the winter, but to thrive. And um, so I, I encourage you on this. And uh, while we're talking about this, I, I want to invite you into this theme again of neighborhood groups. And I want to tell you that I believe how we respond as a church to this pandemic says a lot about our view of God as well as about um, how, how, what, what we view church like and church traditions and how stuck we are in church traditions or how flexible we are to do church in different ways. Because I believe if we, if we respond with faith, I believe that we will experience blessing and growth even in this coming months. One of the principles that was rediscovered during the Protestant Reformation 500 years ago was the priesthood of all believers, which essentially says that there's no special class of Christian. There's not the priests and then all the rest of the, the laity, but, but God has one group of people, and he says in the New Testament through various authors, he says that we Christians are a, a priesthood of believers. We are a new and holy priesthood that we might serve the Lord. And all of us have the capacity to serve the Lord. There's no special servants of the Lord, and then there's others. And this, this whole idea has to be unleashed more and more in the church, as Paul described it in Ephesians 4.12, when he talked about we should be equipping the entire church to do the work of ministry. And so the board and the staff have been having various conversations about this theme of of being an equipping and discipling church ministry, how God could be using COVID-19 to actually strengthen our church family and not weaken it, 
how God could be using this season to retool us and prepare us for the new season of ministry that comes ahead when we emerge from this deep freeze of isolation. God wants to see ministry excel and expand. And so one of the things that we have been definitely led to in this season is the Neighborhood Groups Initiative. And I want to tell you this morning about a few of the opportunities you have to to join in in this priesthood of all believers. A classic opportunity to just say, you know what, the work of the ministry is not just for a few individual leaders, but rather for the entire body of Christians called White Ridge Baptist Church. And I want to share with you a few dates, especially for you leaders who are going to be uh, taking care of some of these groups that we're talking about. First of all, next Saturday, November 21st, the task force will be recording uh, training sessions online. And uh, we've been working on this for a couple of weeks. And uh, next Saturday, we'll record that. The very next day, a week from today, as I stand here, God willing, I will be telling you uh, leaders about uh, a link, an email link that will be sent to you, and you will have the opportunity to view the online training that uh, we're going to offer you to prepare you to take the first step into leading leading, uh, neighborhood groups. And then we want to also let you know that the following week, Sunday, two weeks from today, the first Sunday of Advent, we intend to have a formal launch of neighborhood groups. And what that essentially means is that any time after that day, all of you, all of you who are part of White Ridge Baptist Church, which means in essence that you have signed uh, up on Breeze, our database, you have, we have your information so we can connect with you. Everybody that's part of our church will be getting a phone call that is introducing them to their neighborhood group leaders after the 29th of November. And we expect at that point in time that we are going to be able to, to then enjoy uh, Advent and, and Christmas together in, in the neighborhood. We're going to seize the opportunity to do church more in the neighborhood. Now, I know it's going to look differently. There's going to be lots of Christmas caroling and drive-by things and sharing dainties and, and things at the door. But we're going to be capitalizing on this moment and trusting God to lead us into uh, celebrating Christmas together, the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ, but also caring for one another. Because we're not having a Christmas banquet this year. We're not having the children's Christmas program. We're not having life group Christmas parties and so on. There's lots of things not happening, but we believe that there are lots of things that can happen as we put our creativity to work and and join each other. So uh, may the Lord bless us as we continue on. Let's take a look at the scripture that we're going to be examining this morning. And it's talking about the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in verse 7 of James chapter 5, he says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. You know, three times in the passage that uh, was read to us, three times this future event that is marked in the believer's life is mentioned by James, the coming of Jesus Christ. All of time, each day, is marching toward this one event. Every second of our lives, hour, every day, every week, it's marching one day, one week closer to this momentous event that is spoken of in Scripture over and over again. One out of every 25 verses in the New Testament tells us about the second coming of Jesus Christ. 
It is taught throughout uh, the New Testament. And there's three words that are used to teach about it. There's the word parousia, which is used in James uh, 5, 7, and 8. This word means coming, simply. It refers literally to to be alongside of, because someone has come and now they're alongside of you. It was referring in the Old Testament or in New Testament times and beforehand in the Greek world to a king that was coming to a community. And so 18 times in the New Testament, this word parousia refers to Jesus' coming again as he came the first time as a baby, the second time he is coming as a reigning king. The next word is epiphania, where we get our word epiphany from. And this word is the appearing, the manifestation of God. In Titus chapter 2, 13, the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age as we wait for that blessed hope. Here it is, the glorious epiphany, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And then the third word is apocalypsis, which is the actual title of the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. That's apocalypsis. And that word has to do with a mystery that is being revealed. It's something that's been hidden, but now it's being revealed. And it says in the scriptures that for example, 1 Peter 1.13, Therefore, prepare your minds for action and be sober-minded. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the apocalypsis of Jesus Christ, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Again, a reference to his second coming. So James now, as he's getting ready to wind down his letter, you know, just another couple of weeks on this, and uh, as he's getting ready to wind down his letter, he's now pointing the believers to the second coming of Jesus Christ. Jesus even spoke of his second coming when he was on earth at his first coming. Isn't that crazy? Jesus spoke of his second coming when he was walking the earth. In Matthew 24, which is called the Olivet Discourse often, he is talking to his disciples and he says, therefore you must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. He's speaking of his next coming after he has ascended. Back in the early 1800s, there was a Scottish preacher by the name of Robert Murray McShane. How's that for Scottish? And uh, he was preaching one evening uh, on Sunday evening about the, sun, about the coming of Christ. And he went to his elders' board, one by one. He went to each person, and he said to them, Do you think that Jesus Christ is coming tonight? And each one of them, one by one, said, Oh, no, I don't, I don't think he's coming tonight. And then McShane gets up into the pulpit and he announces his text. And he says, for the Son of Man will come at an hour that you do not think. <laughs> because he, we, we don't think about it, do we? We don't think on a daily basis that could today be the day that Jesus Christ returns? I don't think about it daily. But James is saying, he's saying you should think about it. He's encouraging the believers to think about it. And the main lesson, the main lesson that James is saying in this scripture, when we think about the second coming is, he says, you need to be patient. You need to be patient. So he is underlining this, this virtue of patience as we wait for the second coming of Jesus Christ. The word patience here is makrothumia, and it's a very interesting word. It's a Greek word, 
two Greek words put together, macro meaning long, and thumia meaning heat or passion or anger. The idea of macrothumia is that it's the idea of long before it gets heated, that's patience. So it's kind of like the opposite of being short-tempered is being long-tempered. This is long before it gets hot. A patient person is just able to remain cool, waiting. James is saying, be patient, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. You also, be patient, establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. And so there is a precious fruit, James says, that comes into our lives when we live the macrothumia, patient way. When we live patiently. Now that's difficult in the face of suffering. It's difficult in, the, in fact as we go through what we're going through. It can be difficult to be patient. But if we're going to receive patience in this world, then we're going to have to learn how to draw strength and comfort and hope from another world. In the face of COVID-19 in this world, we're going to have to draw from another world, the virtue of Christ, his patience, the fruit of the Spirit, patience. And if we're going to face the uncertainty of the duration of COVID-19, some of you have faced loved ones in Central America that have faced hurricanes and tornadoes destroying your homes, your, your loved ones' homes. You're going to have, have to have patience in the face of catastrophe, in the face of political unrest, in the face of unemployment or illness, or in the face of just plain living in a society that seems to be in a moral free fall. James says you need to have patience. You need to be patient. Something better is coming. That something better is Jesus. He is coming. He is going to set all things right. Everything that's upside down now, he's going to put right side up. Jesus, his second coming, is the hope of every Christian. All the injustices that are happening now, seemingly unseen by the world, Jesus is going to bring everything to light in his second coming. Be patient. Be patient, Jesus says to his church. Before he left the earth, Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. St. Augustine said once, patience is the companion of wisdom. So be wise, live wise lives. Live wisely as you wait for the coming of the Lord. Well, let's take a look at um, some of the things that James says about patience because he's he's got more to say than just wait he says there's something that you can do in your waiting it's an active waiting James is talking about look at verse 8 he says you also be patient establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand and that word for establish or strengthen some translations sterizo this word is interesting. It has the idea of supporting something, supporting, propping it up, stabilizing it. Because it may be, maybe it's going to bend, but it's not going to break. Because you're strengthening, you're establishing your hearts. For example, Jesus 
um, does that for us. Paul says in 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 3, but the Lord is faithful and he will strengthen, establish you and guard you against the evil one. But the interesting thing about the way that James uses this, this word is that he uses it in the plural form. He says to the churches that he's writing, you churches, you believers, you strengthen your hearts. In other words, he is saying that we need to do this for each other. It's not just about me in my little closet strengthening my own heart, trying to be true to God and faithful and, and obedient. No. He's saying, you church, plural, you folks, establish your hearts, strengthen your hearts together. Do whatever it takes to make sure that not one of you stumbles. You might bend, but you won't break. He says, establish your hearts. And then in verse 9, he goes on, he says something else that actively you can be doing. He says, do not grumble against one another, brothers, so you, know, you may not be judged, for the judge is standing at the door. Jesus is going to be the judge one day. He's standing at the door. He's waiting for his second coming. Don't grumble against one another, James says. And this is another interesting word. Seriously, it's a... It's a Greek word that has to do with inward groaning. So, now here's, here's how it's used. For example, in Romans 8, 23, not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly, same word, as we wait for our adoption. 2 Corinthians 5, 2, Paul writes this, For in this tent, in this body, we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling. See, the Bible teaches us that as long as we are in this body, that there will be groaning going on. And James is taking that idea of groaning inwardly, that sighing, moaning, yearning that we do because life is hard sometimes on earth. And he's taking that as a normal part of life and he's saying, don't let your groaning inwardly turn to grumbling outwardly against one another. That's what he's saying. It's an interesting way of using the word. Don't let your inward groaning turn into outward grumbling. Now, I'm sure that James is not advocating a bunch of repressed Christians that are repressing their emotions. Keep that groaning inwardly. Keep your stuff to yourself. No, he's not saying that. It's good to share our burdens with one another, as the Scripture teaches. But don't let it turn into grumbling against one another. That's what James is saying. Happens so easily, can't it? We, uh, we're living in tighter quarters. We're not getting out as much. We don't have full control over our agenda. We don't have full control over our circumstances. Our routines are being interrupted. Don't let your inner groaning turn to outward grumbling, church. A.W. Tozer, the late A.W. Tozer said this, what then are we to do about our problems? We must learn to live with them until such time as God delivers us from them. We must pray for grace to endure them without murmuring. Problems patiently endured will work for our spiritual perfecting. They harm us only when we resist them or endure them unwillingly. And so there's something active we can be doing in the midst of waiting for the second coming 
of the Lord. Then I want to move on to talk about some of the positive inspiration for living patiently. And uh, James is going to talk about some good examples that we have in our lives on patience. And he, first of all, in verse 10, refers to the prophets. But before we, we mention that, I should go back and, and mention that we, we didn't really talk about what he said in verse 7 as an example, and that is the farmers. Back in verse 7, uh, James says, Look at the farmers, how the farmer waits. Look at the farmers. And I want you to know that the word for see or look at the farmers is, is, is a very interesting word. It's, uh, we're going to be hearing a lot about that word in a couple of weeks when we start into our Advent series on the book of Matthew. All throughout Advent, we're going to talk about Matthew's presentation of Christ's birth. And, and all through it, we're going to hear that word, behold, look, see. I'll, I'll give you a few examples. Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph. Behold, the virgin shall be with child. And behold, wise men came from the east. And behold, the star went before them. And behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Quick, take the child, go to Egypt. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. And, and behold, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. And behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This word behold keeps on coming up. And James takes that word behold and guess what he says? Behold the farmers. <laughs> These farmers are in good company. Angels and wise men and John the Baptist. Well, I took their advice and I actually got a chance to behold a farmer this past late August. I was on my way to St. Agath to officiate at Keaton and Marla's wedding. And I took the moment, the opportunity, to stop at the Bergman farm. And there I beheld a farmer. His name was Rudy. He's outstanding in his field. That's an old one, isn't it? Um, and, and so I, I waited by the silos, and sure enough, there came Rudy in the grain truck. And he pulled up, backed in, and he augured the grain up into the silo, and I had a little chance, maybe 30 minutes, to, to visit with the farmer and behold the farmer. But I didn't see a lot of patience. He was quite eager to get back out to the fields, and I can understand why, because you see, farmers have waited all months for that harvest time to occur, and when it's time to harvest, they, they, they don't need to be patient any longer. And, and here, what James is saying, he says, you also, you also, Christians, you also need to be patient to grow the precious fruit of a life that's lived under the grace of God, waiting for the return of Christ in the midst of groaning but not grumbling, bending but not breaking, supported by one another. You also grow that precious fruit of patience in your lives. And by the way, Rudy, no, I do not owe you $5. I think you owe me $5 for this mention, by the way. Oh, sorry, I'm off track here. See, this is one of the problems with having an empty room is the preacher can wander all over the place. Get back on track here. Verse 10, James points to the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. You know, you need to simply read the Old Testament to see the many prophets that suffered 
patiently. The one that came to mind most this week as I pondered which one to share is, is Jeremiah. Jeremiah was labeled the weeping prophet. And Jeremiah lived four decades with the people of Judah in Jerusalem. In fact, Jeremiah was alive when the Babylonians came and took the Jerusalem inhabitants off to Babylon in exile. And he chose to go and live with them. He chose to suffer with them. He would warn them for decades. He would warn them about the impending coming judgment of God unless they changed their ways. Oh, prophets were a patient people. We need to look around us for other examples of patient people. And it's interesting because in verse 11, the word that that James associates with prophets and the others like that that are blessed is the word upomone. We've referred to this word before, the beginning of James in chapter 1. The testing of your faith produces upomone, this, this perseverance, this patience. Again, it's a compound word, upo meaning under, and mone meaning to remain. To remain under is this idea. I always get the idea in my mind of a of a couple of oak of yoke of oxen that are remaining under that yoke until the farmer takes off that yoke and the work is done. And this idea of perseverance is that we remain under that thing which God has placed upon us in his sovereignty, in his timing, until God removes it from us. And as we think about that for COVID-19, it certainly applies. Live patiently, persevere, understand that God has allowed it that, it's, that uh, this virus has been inflicted on us without, not without his will, not without his understanding. Our role is to stand under it faithfully. And the reason that we can do it is two, two reasons that we can do this. In verse 11, I believe that applies to this. There's two reasons why we can sit under this infliction of a pandemic and deal with the restrictions of life and the suffering of life understanding from a faith perspective what God is up to. He says there's two reasons. Number one, in verse 11, he says because we're getting a glimpse of the purposes of the Lord. And number two, because we know, we know God. Because God, our Savior, is compassionate and merciful. This is, this is, this is the God we know. Just like we sang, you're a good, good father. That's who you are. And I'm loved by you, and that's who I am. We know God. And this will press us in to know him even more, this pandemic. If we allow that pressure to not come between us and the Father, but to keep the pressure on the other side and press us into God the Father, we will know more of two things. We will know more of his purposes in this pandemic, and we will know more of his nature of compassion and mercy. I believe that. You know, friends, I, I think we must tune our hearts to the purposes of God. We must be so in step with the Spirit in him during this COVID-19 when so much of life, of life has been stripped away from many people in our society. You see, all the things that are so temporal and so superficial, stripped away, no longer part of their lives. 
we as those who have something linked to the, the profound and the eternal because of Jesus Christ, because of our hope in the second coming of Christ and the kingdom that will come. We should be those who are standing by watching in relationship with those who do not know Jesus, who do not have that hope. And we should be those who are standing by watching life get stripped down in their lives and then seeing if they cry out to the Lord Jesus, seeing if we could come alongside of them and love them for Christ's sake and present to them the truth of God and how God loves them and how he wants them to be in relationship with them and how that their lives can be lived not just for the temporal and the superficial but for the profound and the eternal. I believe that's what God calls us to in this time. I picture us as the church believers in the church not I don't picture in my mind the church on the sides of the of the river on the banks of the river watching the pandemic flow by watching other people suffer in the news and on the radio hearing of the terrible stories and just sitting on the sidelines I don't picture the church of Jesus Christ on the banks of the river watching life pass by I picture the church of Jesus Christ in the river, sending the life preserver to someone else, helping the ones that can't swim, that are going down, lifting them up, telling them there's, there's something that God's doing here. Do you see it? I believe that's what we as the church should be doing. And so how important it is for us to be in relationship with each other first of all. How important it is, these neighborhood groups that can, can spawn new relationships, new caring communities. But how important it is that we go eventually to take the next step and to say, God, you want me to connect to my neighbor too. Amen. Well, I want you to know that very few commentaries have a clue about where verse 12 of chapter 5 in James fits. Um, this is what it says. Above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. James is clearly quoting Jesus when he said almost the same words in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5.34. See, by the time of Christ, this idea of swearing an oath by something greater than you was, was commonplace, and it was starting to be abused by People like the Pharisees who used it to get out of some of the commitments they made in life. And so the issue in all of the conversation, however, is truthfulness. It has to do with truthfulness. Your word should be your word, I believe, is what James is saying. He's saying your word is your bond. You should not need to qualify it with an oath. You should not need to say, I swear on my mother's grave. That's useless words. It makes you wonder what, what you're normally talking like if you have to swear that you're telling the truth. Sometimes what are you telling the rest of the time? And so James is pointing this out. Maybe it's more applicable in his day to, to the kinds of things that he was facing, but the, the message certainly for us is we need to be truthful. We should be Suspicious, perhaps, of someone who has to swear and take an oath. 
I like what James Addison said. He says, swearing an oath is necessary only in a society where the truth is not reverenced. I hope we don't live in that society. I hope we don't live in that community of faith. I hope we don't live those kinds of lives. And so, patience is the message for this morning. Patience. As we come to the end of our message, I want to encourage you in patience. That we might think more about the coming of the Lord Jesus. That's underneath it all. The eternal perspective. All of the things that are temporal will one day be quickly passed. The eternal. Secondly, I would say that we need to strengthen and support each other and uh, make sure that our groaning doesn't turn to grumbling. Make sure that if we see someone bending, we, we come alongside of them and establish their hearts so they don't break. Maybe, maybe this week, one thing we could concretely do is each one of us could make three calls, phone calls. Maybe that's something we could respond. We could say, I'm just, whoever God, whoever you bring to mind, I'm going to make an extra phone call this week to just encourage somebody's heart. I'm just going to say, hey, how are you doing? I, I just haven't talked to you for so long. And, you know, maybe there's something I could pray for you about. What's wrong with that, eh? Maybe in our patience as well, we need to learn to look around for good examples. It could be farmers. It could be people who are alive or who have passed away. Think about their lives. Like I thought about my grandma last Sunday. And then learn together, learn to stand under this yoke that God has placed on us until such time as God removes it. I'm going to call upon you to be patient. Jesus is compassionate and merciful. He will carry us through this time. He will bring it to an end in his own time, but not without accomplishing some of the bigger purposes that yet might not be seen by us. Amen. I'm going to call upon Emma Wynn right now, and Emma is going to put our puzzle uh, piece up on what we've been working on, thanks to the uh, creativity of Tom, uh, Tom Griffin and Lisa Mendes. And Emma's going to put the theme of patience up for today. And then after that, I'm going to, uh, we're going to wait upon Tim uh, Haig Sr. is going to pray for us as a church, and he'll be on the video. Amen. God bless you. Good morning. Will you join with me in closing our service in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wonderful morning that we can gather together as your people, even if it's by distance. And uh, we, we acknowledge the irony, dare we even say the humor, and for sure the wisdom, in you having Terry plan this message for today. That weeks ago, if not months ago, you planted in his heart the need to speak this word on this day as we enter a new time of lockdown and isolation through COVID-19, that you would have him speak on patience in the face of suffering. You know this time, Father, you know the difficulty that is involved with it, you know the struggles that so many have, and yet you've called us to patience, and we often ask why. It seems so very difficult, Father, yet we see from your words so clearly that you've called us to times like these to deepen our character, to improve who we are as individuals, refine us and hone us to be the people that you would have us to be 
in order to do the works that you've called us to do, Father. I pray that you would continue to work those things in our lives so that our community sees you, they see the light of our fellowship, they see the light of your love, and that many come to know you because of it, God. We thank you for all that you're doing in us. We commit this time and this place to you. We pray that you would work in our hearts, give us strength, give us courage for the task at hand. Help us to be community even though we're separated so very far from one another. And we ask it all, Father, in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Have a great day.